You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, asking our Father to join with us tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful evening once again, and we thank you for this wonderful building that you have blessed the church with, and an opportunity for us to come in and enjoy it, and sit comfortably and study your word. But Father, we're going to need the guidance of your Holy Spirit once again. We need your Holy Spirit to really teach us and really bring it to bear on us, these fabulous truths found in your word. So open all of our eyes, open all of our ears to see and to hear from you and to have a good understanding. Be our teacher tonight and join with us as we study your magnificent word that you penned for our benefit. And Father, we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. We're excited to be here and we thank you and pray that you would continue to join with us And we do so in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week we began looking at the magnificent doctrine of election. And uh, we made it a point to look at two fabulous words found in Scripture that are synonymous. We looked at the word called and we looked at the word chosen last week. And uh, now we're going to start taking a look at this word called the elect. And once again, I just want to remind you that election and called and chosen are synonymous words in Scripture. They are used interchangeably. And uh, I just want to just repeat one thing that I said to you last week, because I felt that it was very important. And it was this. I said to you last week that foreknowledge and predestination moves forward now into the doctrine of election. And it is here that election is meeting in real time the individual in whom God foreordained and preordained to salvation. And we use the term the elect. Mike, good evening. So with that... Let's look at this third word, elect. And I want to invite you to turn and look in Matthew chapter 24, please. Matthew chapter 24. We want to look at verse 11. And we want to look at verse 24 also. Uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 11, I believe it is. Yeah, okay. I want to begin and just touch on verse 11, and then we're going to jump over to verse 24. I'll wait, everybody there. 
I'll wait till I don't hear any pages turning. I'm reading verse 11 because it's very close in context of verse 24. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, we could have translated that to even the called or even the chosen. They chose to use the word elect. Synonymous words that all mean the same thing. Simply this, you were selected. You were picked out. You were appointed to, and the term is for salvation. That's what election is all about. It's, it's God choosing, God selecting the individual to save them, the elect. Now, it's a wonderful term. The elect is the believer. The elect is the saint. The elect is the church. The elect is the body of Christ. All of us sitting in this sanctuary tonight who are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are the elect. Now turn over to Romans chapter 9, please. And I know we've been here, and we often look at the same verses over and over, but the same verses teach so much theology in them that we can't avoid them. And so here we are back in Romans chapter 9 again, and we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. I know we looked at them last week, but bear with me. We're looking at it again this week. Verse 10. And not only this, Paul says, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of God who calls. Beloved, last week I made it very clear to you in every single one of the texts that we looked at in passages last week that every single one of them pointed to who was doing what. God was doing the choosing. God was doing the calling. God was doing the election. And here is Paul once again making that clear to his readers. The one who is sovereign over the calling and choosing and election of the believer is God. And he makes that very clear here in Romans. As long as we're in Romans, turn over to chapter 11. Look at verse 5, please. <clears throat> and maybe just to get a little bit of a context, let's look at verse 1 first. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. See that? We could have translated that, I believe, and, I, and, and, and I'd have to really look to make sure, but I'm almost positive. You could have translated that, in whom he foreordained. 
Verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreordained. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I love it. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Isn't that beautiful? And look at verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Friends, it is not anything any man, woman, child has ever done that God calls them according to what they did. He did it according to his own good pleasure and purposes. And by the way, one of the pleasures that brings him is to redeem us, to extend that grace to us. It brings God good pleasure. Now, I, I have a hard time with that, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to be really transparent here, because I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful rat, and I do not know how God can find good pleasure in me. I can't see how that could be. Quit smiling, because she knows me. I'll drop you off on the corner on the way home. Huh? Yeah, I know it. Think about that, folks. John says we love him because he first loved us. And all through these doctrines of grace that we've been studying, what we see every single week we're together looking at Scripture is we see God's love for us. It's amazing. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. When I was reviewing... I realize we haven't been in Colossians yet. So I thought, well, let's go there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Everybody there? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. The great apostle Paul says, therefore, as the elect of God, stop there. As the elect of God, as the chosen of God, as the called of God. Here's what Paul expects of us. Number one, we're holy. Does that mean we're pious? What does that mean? I saw somebody say, no, it doesn't mean we're pious. What does holy mean? What is it? He's right. Set apart, set aside, separated. Therefore, as the elect of God, set aside, separated, and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. As the elect of God, as the chosen Here's what 
God expects us to have, not just for one another, but for all of humanity. Let's jump over to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, please. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1, but verse 4 is where we really want to key in on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Savannah and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you. Did you guys catch that? We give thanks to God always for you. We don't thank somebody else for each other. We thank God. The reason we thank God is because God's the one that did the work. And isn't it interesting? Something here. When you pray for the salvation of people, who are you praying to? God. So to all of our Arminian brothers and sisters who don't think that God is responsible and sovereign for the election of the believer, how come we thank God for him when they come to faith? Is that not an oxymoron? Doesn't make sense, does it? We give thanks to God, beloved, Paul says in Thessalonians. Let's keep going. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. You see that? Your election is by God. Now, I can't stand it. We've got to go to chapter 2 while we're right here. Go to chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. Look what it says. For this reason we also thank who? God. Without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also, underline this word, effectively works in you who believe. Now I can't stand it. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. Verse 13. We've been here before, but I just want to remind you of this. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. There's where we're going. I might even go down to 16. Everybody there? 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to who? To God. Why? He's going to tell us. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. We could have said elected you or called you through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel. 
for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Excuse me, in every good work, word and work. I don't know how in the world we could ever read scripture and go to the body of texts that we have been looking at since we began the doctrines of grace and come to any other conclusion except that we are saved, born again by God through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. The triune God has done everything for our salvation. We didn't give 0.1%, which means we didn't even give 10%, one-tenth, excuse me, one-tenth. God did it all, 100% of it. And beloved, we're recipients of that. We're recipients of that grace. It didn't cost you a dime. It cost God, his son, on our behalf. Great text, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Now, we've already looked at this, but here we are. We're back at it again. We looked at this very closely, if you recall, and I think I titled it The Saint's Inheritance, and it was in regards to the perseverance of the saints. We were looking at the doctrine of eternal security. But here we are now looking at the doctrine of election. Same passage. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect. Watch this. Elect according to the foreknowledge, or it could say elect or chosen or called according to the foreordination or foreordaining of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. For the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then he launches in Peter into this great anthem of praise, just like Paul. He knew no other, anything else he could do but to praise God. Look what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, did you catch that? His abundant mercy. Look what it says has begotten us again. Some of you who have New American Standard, does it say who has brought, uh, begotten us? No, born again? Who's got NASB? Has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There you are. Has caused us to be born again. The New King James translated it, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade or reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, catch that, kept by the power of God. He saves you, and by his power he keeps you. As long as we're right there, are you still in First Peter chapter 1? Look at verse 20. 
Look at verse 20. Before we go there, look at verse 10. Oh, no. I've got to go to 2 Peter. As long as we're right there, look at verse 20. God indeed, Jesus indeed was foreordained. Now, that's the same word as over here, foreknowledge in verse 2. I think the translators actually hit the nail on the head perfectly when they translated verse 20. He indeed, Jesus, speaking of Christ, he indeed was foreordained. It's exactly the same word as foreknowledge. But look at when, for the foundation of the world. So what that means is this. God knew that man was going to have his fall in the Garden of Eden. He knew that. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. So before he ever created humanity, the earth, everything that we know today is part of creation, before any of that began, before the foundation of the world, his son was foreordained to die on the cross. His son wasn't foreordained to die on the cross for God. It's for us. That's the God that I love and that's the God of the scriptures and that's the God that I want to worship and exalt and praise and bend my knees to. The God that did all of that for us. Second Peter chapter 1, please. Verse 10. It's so rich. Will you allow me to begin in verse 1 again? Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all. Who's us? Go ahead. Nailed it. Can you say it louder? The elect. Yes. The reason I'm pointing to all of this is I want you to see all of what Peter is saying. He keeps using the word us, we, you. Look with me. Verse 3, as his divine power has given to us, the elect, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. You see that? There it is again, called us. By the glory and virtue of by which have been given to who? To us. There it is again. The elect. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith Virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. Look at that, perseverance. 
to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For these things are yours and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, look at this, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Make sure your call and election are sure. Loved ones, God's elect, God's elect are those who are called or chosen to be saved according to God's selection and to extend grace and mercy to you. Let me repeat that because it's, it's so important. God's elect are those who are called and chosen to be saved according to God's selection to extend mercy and grace. Now let's go to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to go right back to Romans 9. And this time I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. And we're going to read through to 24. Romans chapter 9, verses 8 through 24. And by the way, I was typing over the weekend. Actually, maybe I shouldn't call it typing. I was henpecking. And I was typing the exposition we're going to do together on Romans 9. I can't wait but it's going to be near the end of our study. But if you can wait that long and be patient with me, I'll get there, I promise. But it's rich. But for tonight, let's look at it. Verse 8. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. And it was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, It is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. 
Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted God's will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might know the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Beloved, that's what God did again for not all Israelites, but for the nation, yes, but for specific people of that nation. And then out of all the Gentiles, he had a specific group that he also called, elected and chose. We are part of that. We sit here in this sanctuary tonight, the very subject matter of what Paul's talking about here. We're God's elect. So once again, I'm going to put it to you differently now. God's elect are also those who are called and chosen to be saved according to God's love. I said to you the first time, it's according to God's mercy and grace, but it's also according to God's love. Now allow me to illustrate this from the scripture. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just going to go ahead and pick it right up in verse 3. It's just too rich. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, there it is, us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of God's will, of his will. Now, the New American Standard rendered verse 5 this way, and I, and I love the rendering. It says this, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intentions of his will. According to his kind intention. 
His kind intention was to save us. I think that translation is so rich that NASB used. But may I say once again, like a broken record, all three words, called, chosen, elect, clearly indicate God's totally independent choice. Did you catch that? God's totally independent choice. Not ours. His. Independent of all. To put it another way, God's totally independent selection of people for salvation was specifically the elect. Now before moving on, I want to bring to your attention two very small but powerful words used by Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 and 12. I told you last week that we were really going to dissect this Ephesians chapter 1. Well, here we go. The, The two powerful words that I want to bring to your attention in this text is the personal pronouns, us, and we. So would you look with me now? Look at verse 3 and follow with me. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Us. Do you see that? Verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 4 again, that we should be holy. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of God's grace, his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he made to abound towards us. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Verse 11, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, beloved, a couple of things I still further want to bring to your attention as you see this magnificent pronoun, us and we, It's speaking about the elect, nobody else. And Paul is stressing it. He's making this so emphasized for us to grasp that this is what God's done for us, the elect. Now, a couple more things I want to bring to your attention. Everything that has taken place here in regards to our salvation has been bestowed on only one group of people, the elect. It's 
not, it has not been bestowed on anybody else. Now, we don't like that. Well, hold on to that thought and let's keep going. It goes back to what we've talked about before. Do we ever want to question the injustice of God? (laughs) Absolutely not. So the first thing that I want you to notice is this salvation has been bestowed only on the elect. Now, the second thing that has taken place here in regards to salvation is that this bestowing of salvation has been done by only one person. Every one of those verses, who was that person? You know the answer. God. God is bestowing that salvation. Let us not miss this great anthem of praise. Do God by Paul, beloved. Paul's heart in Ephesians chapter 1, when he gets to verse 3, is gushing out. It's a gushing out of praise and anthem to God for what God's done. That's why he says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If God never bestowed any material gift upon us, we have enough spiritual gifts that that should satisfy us enough. That alone. Paul's anthem of praise is due God only because God's responsible for the salvation of the elect and no one else should ever get an iota of that praise. Well, let's look now at verse 3 and let me show you that. Look in verse 3 again. Blessed be God. Verse 4, just as he, God, Verse 5, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, God. Verse 6, to the praise and glory of God's grace by which God made us accepted in the beloved. In him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of who? God. Verse 8, which God made to abound towards us. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his or God's will, according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in himself. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his or God's will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of God's glory. Now notice in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, that your salvation is credited in verse 3, it says to God himself, meaning nobody else. Now, it's always important to remember throughout Scripture, no matter where we go in Scripture, Scripture is specific. God's Word says what it means and means what it says.
And I say that to you because in verse 4, God did all this, all of this. Paul says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Furthermore, verse 5, God predestined or predetermined us to adoption as his son to himself. And of course, we render him, verse 6, the praise of the glory for his grace by which he, God, bestowed on us. And all of this was bestowed on us, verse 7 says, according to the riches of God's grace. Now, beloved, notice in this entire text, critical point to make here, not according to man. Do you realize that that whole passage, not one thing is credited to man? Nothing. It's all credit to our great God. Verse 8 is Paul's emphasis on God's grace. Look at verse 8 with me. I just love this. Which God made to abound towards us. Friends, the election of God's elect is made known to the believer according to God's will and according to God's good pleasure. That's why it happens. Remember what Paul said in Romans 9, not of works, not of him who runs, not of him who wills. John said the same thing. If you remember last week, we looked at John chapter 1. Said to you, John doesn't get very far in his gospel and he wants his readers to understand that their salvation is attributed to God alone, not to man, not to blood, not to anything but God's will. Well, let's look at verse 9, and I'll support what I said to you according to God's good pleasure. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of God's will according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in himself. Now, because of the great importance of what Paul just said in verse 9, he's not done. Paul emphasizes this fact one more time. Look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or predetermined according to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his good will. I like that. Verse 11. According to the counsel of God's will, nothing else. I know we looked at it last week, but let's look at it one more time. I, I just want to solidify this in us. Would you go back to John's Gospel, chapter 1, please? John chapter 1, we're going to look at 12 and 13. I just want to look at my notes real quick and maybe 
finish this next week. Hmm. I might make this a third week. Are you okay on that? If this takes a third week on election, are you okay on that? Okay. Look what John says in his gospel, chapter 1. Verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. He gave the right, beloved, for us to become children of God. We did not come to him to be children of God. No man seeketh after God before he's regenerated. No man. He's God's enemy. He hates God. He loves darkness and he hates the light. And he loves the darkness because the darkness hides his deeds. The light sheds light on his deeds. We got to understand that. None is righteous. No, not one, Paul said. And he says, no man seeketh after God. Well, look what John says. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. All of you know this verse so well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Mine says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I bet you yours says the same thing. I'll bet not one of your Bibles says that it was up to you. It says it was up to God. Well, I think James said something to that effect, too. Let's go to James chapter 1. I think it's verse 18. Let's go there. We're going to pick it up in chapter 1 of James, verse 16. We're keying in on verse 18. But let's start in verse 16. By the way, James is our Lord's half-brother. Okay? James was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ until after his resurrection. And James is the apostle that was placed as the pastor, excuse me, the church in Jerusalem. And James makes this most profound statement that I don't want us to miss. And this is coming from a man who grew up in the household with Christ. So he saw his brother Jesus all through those years. And it wasn't until his, his resurrection that he believed in his own 
brother. Because that's when God called him in real time. But look at this profound statement he made. Do not be, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's talking right there about the immutability of God, that God doesn't change. Now look what he says. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Even James recognized how he was saved. He recognized himself that he had nothing to do with his own salvation, that it was all of God's will. By the way, James too was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He too was. His name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, just like yours and just like mine, before the foundation of the world. Pretty amazing. Well, let me ask you something. Is there anything ambiguous about these verses we just looked at? John chapter 1, Philippians 2, James 1, no. They are absolutely clear, aren't they? So I guess the only way you could deny these verses is to absolutely destroy the Word of God. Contort the text. You torture the text long enough, it'll say anything. Well, friends, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, you would think that Paul had nothing more to say regarding the salvation of the elect. That he exhausted the matter. But that's not the case at all. He penned verse 12. Look at it with me, would you? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. That we, the elect, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Loved ones, even the trusting, even the trusting, even the believing, even the faith is to be to the praise of God's glory. Look at verse 12 one more time. That we the elect who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of God's glory. We miss this often. I missed it for years. Paul is saying that even the trusting is to the praise of God's glory. That's why he said in Ephesians further, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. So, beloved, what we have here with the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John is that it's not of the will of man. 
but according to the counsel of God's will. When you leave here tonight, leave here knowing that God willed your salvation. Specifically, you were willed by God before you were ever created. That means he knew every single one of our names before the foundation of the world. Now, it's at this point that I want to make it clear that God's sovereign election never interferes, never violates man's will. God's election operates in conjunction with man's will. God's election operates in accordance with man's will. So how does God do this? How does God bring men who are spiritually dead, 1 Corinthians 2.14, to life? How does God bring men who are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, to salvation? How does God bring men who are slaves to sin, Romans 6.17, to salvation? How does God bring men who are enemies of God, Romans 8, 7, to salvation? How does God bring men who seek not after God, Luke 19, 10, Romans 3, 11, Romans 10, 20, how does God turn them to salvation? We have to wait till next week. Well, it's 8 o'clock. You want to wait till next week or you want to peek at it? Peek at it, Craig says. You want to peek? Okay, let's peek at it. We'll come right back. We're not going to stay much longer. I could stay all night, but let's peek at it. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. And I hope you're interested in seeing, we're going to the Old Testament here. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Dave. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I asked you, how does God do all of this? And I gave you a little bit of a description of us. How can he do that when we are who we are? Pre-regeneration. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Real quickly, who has NASB? Rich, don't you? Read, read it. What is NASB? Yes.
You hear that? I have drawn you. Well, I have John 1 again. We don't need to go there. We, we've been looking at it week after week, but John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 tells us how it's done. It's done by God's will. But let's go over to John chapter 6. We haven't been there in a while. John chapter 6, verse 37. Everybody there, John? John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I will by no means cast out. Now look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 65. Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now, beloved, is that telling you how God does this? He's drawing. He gives you an eye to the Son. Now, that is a magnificent thing. Let's talk about that real quick. When the scripture teaches, which it does in John, that you and I were given to Christ by the Father. We were a gift to Christ. Now, again, I have a hard time with that because I don't think I'm a gift to anybody. But, but God must have thought something different about me. And that's why I love him so much. He gave me to the Son. He gave you to the Son. And one day, the Son's going to give him back to the Father. Give us back to the Father. Let's look again. It's so important. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me. Everybody in this room tonight. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I will by no means cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. Verse 65, therefore I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him What does yours say? By who? By the Father. Let's go to to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, please. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. This is Paul speaking, and this is Paul speaking about himself. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. (laughs) Beloved, all of us again here tonight that are born again believers in Christ, God separated us also, just like he did Paul, and made us his. And he did it when he called us, in real time. All of us were called at a different time, 
but we were all called in real time specifically by God when he did it. That's why Peter says that we, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We didn't call ourselves. God called us. Very, very important text that you all know well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul talking to the Ephesians. Everybody there? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, God, made alive. And he tells us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, beloved, I don't know any dead man that can raise himself to life. Both physically nor spiritually. And that's what Paul's saying here. God called us who were dead in trespasses and sin to life. Does anybody have King James? Well, you have to be dead to hear the voice to begin with. You have to be dead. Well, dead men, what's that? Prior to salvation, you are dead. Correct. Yes, but... Yeah. Correct. Titus, same. Well, I was thinking of uh, John, to go along with what you're saying here, John chapter 5, in verse, uh, I think it's verse John 5, 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Correct. Now, what is it that you hear when you're dead that you're passed from dying? What did the scriptures say that we hear? You're hearing the Spirit of God calling you. What's in that you hear a voice, but what he, is the voice saying? I don't think it's necessarily a voice. I don't think it's an audible voice. Well, I don't believe that God speaks audibly today. Correct. I would say that Second um, Corinthians five, Second Corinthians five would be the answer to what we're hearing, because this is this is what we hear to pass us from death to life. I, I believe. Second Corinthians five. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So when I heard that voice as a dead man, as a little kid, or a a man, until I heard that voice, I I was really dead in trespasses and sins. But from God's point of view, I was already reconciled before the foundation of the world. When he died, he died for the sins of the whole world. Is that right? Every person he died for. Is there anybody he didn't die for? When it says that he died for the sins of the whole world, does that really mean what he really said, or is he just joking? I'll tell you what. I am going to touch on that. Not tonight, but I'm going to touch on that in a whole bunch of other verses. What's that? 
How long? How long are you going to be gone? How long will you be gone? Oh, you'll be back. You'll be back. I'm going to touch on it. I'm going to touch on it. I'm not going to answer that question tonight. That's a great question, and that's been debated for years. Did, and here's the, here's the debate. Did, did, did God die for all the world? Did Jesus Christ die for the entire world? When it says the world, what does that mean? We're going to talk all about that, but not tonight. You got to bear with me. We're going to work our way to that. We're not going to jump into it right in the middle right now. But always remember this. We got to define that term. I'm going to get your minds thinking. Craig raised a great question. And it's a question that if he hadn't raised, we will be discussing. But he raised the question. When the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe shall not perish, shall have everlasting life. Who is all the world? Did Christ die for the whole world? God finds no favor that any man should perish. There's a bunch of verses out there. We're going to talk about every one of them. Okay? Hold on to it, Craig. Be patient. I'm going to go there. Let's go back to what we were looking at. And by the way, Craig, I, I don't believe there's an audible call to salvation. I believe it's a wooing of the Spirit, and God woos, he draws. I believe that when the gospel is preached, that Paul says that the power unto salvation is the gospel. So I'm going to raise that question that you haven't raised yet, but it's part of your question, is how can two men be sitting in the seats in a church or at a Billy Graham crusade and hear the clear, concise gospel preached? One man gets up and embraces Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and the other man doesn't. So are you saying to are you saying that it was an audible call? Well, I'm saying if you, if you In other words, you're speaking to me right now audibly. Did when you were converted, what did you hear to convert you? I heard the gospel I heard the gospel preached and for myself it wasn't till much later on that I realized what a wicked, sinful man I was, and that I could not redeem myself, and that I needed to turn and put my trust, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got down on my knees all alone and embraced Christ. No voice. We, people use that term, the still small voice of God, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, not audible. It was a drawing. It was a drawing that I had. I mean, yeah. It wasn't an audible voice, nothing like that, but it was a, a drawing. And I think if we've been converted, we 
Do you remember last week I gave you two examples of God calling two people to faith from the scriptures? Do you remember? Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, God knocked him down, knocked him down in the dirt. Lydia, he opened her heart. What does that mean? It's a spiritual awakening. It's a quickening. That's why I asked tonight if anybody has the King James. The King James translates Ephesians 2.1 that he quickened you. Quickened you. That's an old, old term. I like that term. That's what he did. He quickened us. How did he? And, and every single person in this room, he did it differently. Well said. The dead shall hear. That's all I'm saying. The word hear there is what the drawing that I felt that I knew that I need to be a converted person. There you go. And yeah. That gets across. That yeah. That's what I mean. It's not yeah. like I heard a, you know, something out of the woodwork. Right. You know, it, it isn't that. That's, that's why I asked you, dude. I'm trying to get across. You had your hand up, Rich. Absolutely, read him. John's right. Yes. The context is not about salvation. The context is the resurrection. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So you can't take John chapter 5 and, and that passage and use that towards the call of salvation. It's the call to resurrection. That's what he's talking about. He'll hear the voice. Resurrection. Okay, so let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 again. And you, God made alive. Or I said to you, the, new King, or the old King James was, and you, he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. A dead man can't raise himself, period. He can't bring himself back to life. Spiritually, or physically. Now go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, and we'll end with this one. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. And I'm thinking where I want to pick it up and the, get the full context. Let's go to verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me. Did you catch that? 
The grace of God was given to him. He didn't go and pick it up. He didn't work for it. It was given to him. Verse 3, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister, here it is, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Or it could say, given to me by the effectual call of his power. There it is. I said to you, how does God bring men who seek not God to salvation? How does he do it? I just gave you examples right out of the scripture. So I'll end. The called, the chosen, the elect come to Jesus Christ because God the Father, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, draws, quickens, awakens men to salvation. Any thoughts? Any questions? Mike. Yeah. 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 Great point. Good point. I think it's Ezekiel. He will change our heart of stone to a heart of flesh. How does he do that? He does it differently in every single one of us. But let me tell you, it's by the power of God and his Holy Spirit. So I want to go back and remind you of what I said when we first started this. The very first night that we were together, I said to you that the things of God are not attainable by us. There are some things that we just can't wrap our finite minds around. Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways. His ways are so much higher than ours. Romans chapter 11, his ways are past finding out. So because we can't quite understand and we can't grasp it fully, we can't reject it because our reasoning has been tainted by sin. Therefore, our reasoning is off. Therefore, we better not reject it though. What do we do with it? Embrace it. Let God be God. And be glad that we are who we are in Christ Jesus. Quit questioning God, as Paul said. Quit questioning the potter, Clay. And embrace it. Now, I'm going to close this, but 
I'm real excited because I want to go to the end. I want to start answering questions. But I am not going to do you any justice by jumping out of sequence here. We've got to work our way through the doctrines of grace using the word of God. And then we're going to go back and we're going to start answering the questions that have been raised for centuries. We're going to look at the arguments, but we're going to do so in the light of Scripture. Now, I always say to people, if you're having a hard time with this, or you doubt this, or you don't believe this, don't take it up with me. Take it up with God. So I was sick. I was feeling really under the weather, and I didn't want to infect the whole church family, bring in my germ Sunday. Well, I couldn't stand it. I had to. So I turned on Adrian Rogers. Do you all know who Adrian Rogers is? Oh, I love him. Adrian Rogers has been gone for some time. He was a Baptist preacher, a great Bible expositor in Bellevue, Tennessee, and I believe it was Bellevue Baptist Church. And he did not mince words. When he preached, he preached. If he offended you, he did not care. He wasn't offensive, but if it offended you, he wasn't concerned about that. What he was concerned about, his role and responsibility, and that is to preach the full counsel, unadulterated word of God. And he said to his audience when he was preaching Sunday, when I was watching it, look, folks, if you don't like this, take it up with God. Don't come and see me afterwards. I don't want your emails. I don't want anything coming to me. You don't like it, take it up with God. It was a powerful passage, and it was hell and brimstone, and I love that. So now I'm not saying the same exact thing as he is saying, other than this stuff's difficult. It really is. We automatically say, why the elected? What happened to the others? Why did he pass by them? If God finds no favor that any man should perish, why do men still perish? And it raises the question that, that, that Craig raises. Did Christ die for the whole world? Well, if he died for the whole world, there'd be no hell. But wait a minute, there's hell. How do we reconcile that? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. These, we're not the first to ask these questions. We're not the first to wrestle with this. But maybe let's just be the first to embrace it. Quit questioning God and let him be God. Instead of questioning why did he pass by this, <laughs> what Dave said last week was fantastic. Dave, do you remember what you said last week standing right up here? The subject of why question why did God pass by others? What did... Right. Did you, did you all hear what he said? Be happy that he chose somebody. And we're those somebodies. Yeah. He's good too. Yeah. Okay. Any questions? Okay. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, once again, we search the scripture and what we see in the scripture is profound. Everything points to you. Everything gives you the glory and the honor and the praise. 
It exalts you, and it should. Because every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is so because of what you did as far back as the foundation of the world and then bringing what you did in the found, before the foundation of the world, you brought it to real life in real time for each and every one that are in Christ Jesus. It was the call. It was our election. And Father, we have no other response, no other, other way to approach you except humbly fall to our knees and bless your great and holy name. Father, you are so righteous and so holy and yet so merciful and so gracious and so long-suffering and patient. As John said, the apostle that Jesus loved, he said, we love you because you first loved us. And he is so right. The great apostle Peter said, because you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we thank you so much. Help us to worship and adore you and love you and honor you and obey you because of what you've done. Help us to see that more clearly and help it to change us to love you that much more. Father, I pray these things in the matchless name of your son, your precious son, your dearest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.